And now it's a blessing to have one of our impact partners with us this morning. Ken Sylvia is the executive director of Youth for Christ Central Valley. He's a dear friend and a great friend of this church. And uh, we are blessed to have him this morning. He has his wife, Tanae, with him. They have a beautiful family, and uh, they do great work here in our region with youth, age 11 to 19. Introduce yourself to Ken and Tanae afterward, if you would. And uh, go to their website, look for opportunities to serve as a volunteer there, and uh, let's help Youth for Christ do the great work that they do in the Valley. Ken, would you please come up? Let's welcome Ken Sylvia. Well, good morning. You know, you guys look refreshed, and I'm not sure if that's because your kids are all at camp or because it's the weekend, so one of the two. Um, yeah, thank you for allowing me to be here. I'm just so honored uh, to speak with you guys. And uh, I, of course, being in youth ministry, I love show and tell. So I don't know if you've got the PowerPoint up, um, but if it, if it does come up, uh, I got a couple pictures here of, oh, there we go. So Gabriel, he just turned eight in July. And then Everly, she's our newest little addition. Um, and fortunately, they both got my good looks. So that's positive. Um, and then also, uh, thank you for supporting YFC. This next slide right here is um, on the left. Uh, we took about 34-ish uh, kids and, and staff to our junior high camp. Uh, these kids came from the Gospel Mission, uh, Roosevelt Junior High, Blinker Kinzer Junior High, May Hensley Junior High, and I'm missing one other, and I can't remember which one it is. On the right, we took about, well, I don't know, a dozen or so uh, kids from our city life site. Years ago, some of you might remember a ministry called Tapestry that Marvin Jacobo and I had done, um, and we brought that back. It's called City Life, and it is uh, over uh, at the exact same church. It has a new name over in South Modesto, uh, not too far from Hanshaw and uh, the Red Shield uh, Center over there. And so it's a really great outreach. We're looking to launch another City Life site um, in partnership with Hope Commons, which is over on East Modesto behind uh, Yosemite Lanes. So a little bit of show and tell there for you guys. Uh, thank you again for being a, a great partner of Youth for Christ, and we love your support. Um, so if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to just pray real quick, because uh, whenever I speak, you should pray. Lord, I thank you so much for Renew, for these people. Uh, bless the, the kids and the staff as they drive back from the hill and Lord, I just pray that I get out of your way and that the, this word this morning would be completely and wholly from you. Thank you for your scripture and for the life that it gives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Nehemiah is an incredible story. And here's why I believe that. Because it demonstrates the power of God working through a leader to carry out the purpose and plans of the Lord through the skilled methodical execution of a plan. It's not just about being a good leader or doing good stuff or, or following Jesus, although that's all important, but it's this combination. So to, to briefly overview the first five chapters of Nehemiah, I know that you guys have been going through this as a church. In chapter one, you see that there's this acknowledgement and confession. Nehemiah gets this, this horrible news about the city, the wall, and he immediately turns his attention before God, not before solving the problem, that's still a struggle of mine. I like to solve all the problems. And so it's a discipline to go back and say, okay, God, I, I gotta go to you first. But we see that, that pattern of Nehemiah even in chapter one. 
In chapter two, we see faithful diligence where Nehemiah conducts research. He does his homework. He, he seeks out wisdom and he puts time and thought into methodical planning about what he's gonna do step by step. In chapter three, the community rallies around each other. In chapter four, it says, then we prayed, verses four and nine. Nehemiah expected complications and we're reminded in this chapter to be prepared to stay on, go to stay on guard as we go through life, uh, but not try to avoid it. We, we don't live in fear, but we expect that as we go through life, there's gonna be troubles and we have to be prepared and ready and put on the full armor of God as we, as we go through life. In chapter five, it's revealed that we have to deal with our own house. We see that the people had to forgive each other for their wrongs, for the debts owed, um, and that we don't put ourselves above others. The question in this chapter arises, how can God work through you if we don't let him work in you? That's the ultimate question of chapter five. And so here we are in chapter six, chapter six through eight. And uh, the reason why uh, Dallas and I talked about doing these chapters slammed together is, as we'll see, chapter seven is kind of boring. So kind of easy to skip through it. Um, but uh, uh, as we look through these chapters, I have two questions for you. So if you like to take notes, this is your chance. If you hate notes, get out your phone and text that person that annoys you the most, Okay. Text them these questions, and that way they can be like, what are you talking about? And you have a conversation, go to coffee or whatever. Or if your spouse is next to you, text them and make sure they're like, hey, that's for you. Okay, so uh, question number one. What stops you from a God-sized task? Now, I don't mean like, you know, building an orphanage in Cambodia or trying to reach every kid in Modesto or whatever that might be. But, I, but what's a God-sized task for you? Maybe it's trying to make sure your kids aren't, horribly misbehaved. Maybe it's trying to be nice to your boss at work or your employees who you're like, oh my gosh, like, I, I don't know, how did you get this job? I, why did I hire you? I, I mean, maybe that's your struggle. Um, whatever it is for you, maybe it's just like loving your spouse sometimes. What stops you from a God-sized task? And question two is, what could God do through you if you had a refreshed sense of awe? Okay, so those are two great questions around the dinner table later, or, you know, just it, when, you, when your spouse annoys you, you can be like, hey, what do you hear, what do you hear at church? You know, you give them a little attitude and shake your head and your hips a little bit, and there you go. So if I could summarize what I believe God has laid in my heart uh, through these chapters, it's this. If I had to give it one ugly sentence, it would be, we can, we can achieve God-sized goals when we practice the four key disciplines when we focus on the mission with wisdom, take inventory of our lives, stand in awe of God, and celebrate the sacred, those four things. So first, we can achieve God-sized goals when we discipline ourselves to focus on the mission with wisdom. Now, let me first say this. I have the attention span of a fly, okay? Can anybody relate? Please tell me I'm not alone, okay? It's like, oh, what was that? Squirrel. That is me. At the same time, I can be so incredibly focused. For example, last night, I had to get a new phone. I researched like four different websites, 10 different cases, because I have to get the best bang for my buck and the best value and all those other things. And my wife is like, put your phone down, okay? Like it's, 
time to be done. And I'm like, but I'm almost done researching, right? So I, I've got that part of me as well. So the point of this is that it's not just about accomplishing a task, but you stay focused with wisdom. You're not just focused on getting it done, but you're focused on getting it done while you're watching other things around you that go on. And I'll tell you right now, for me, sometimes that is a very, very uh, task in and of itself. In Nehemiah 6, uh, 2 through 3, verses 9 and 19, there's some real important examples here. So on the screen, you can read that. It says in verse 2 through 3, So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me, that's Nehemiah, to meet them at one of the villages uh, in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? You see, Nehemiah recognizes that there's a threat. He understands that these, these people, which are mentioned previously in Nehemiah, these are kind of like, I guess, bullies, you could say. Nehemiah understands that they're just trying to distract him. But he doesn't overreact. He doesn't threaten them, call them names. He doesn't avoid it like it's gonna go away. He addresses the problem appropriately. He stays focused with wisdom. In verse nine, that the point is furthered. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. He understood that these people were just haters. They were trying to bully them and keep them from accomplishing their goals. Because when you have a God-sized task in your life, in your family's life, in your work life, the enemy doesn't like it. He wants to keep you as low and insignificant as possible. And it is a challenge. It's a challenge for us to be able to stay focused, follow through in spite of the world's distractions. You see, this harassment continued for 52 days straight while they were building the wall. During that time, other people even rallied around these bullies, so-called prophets even, trying to say, oh, you know, they're good people. They just want to help. They just want, you know, this, they want to communicate with you. They, they know these powerful politicians, blah, 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 blah. And Nehemiah continues to say, but why should I stop my work? There was no good case for that being made. It says in verse 19, they kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. And then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. You see, the enemy and the pressures of this world desire our emotional reactions. It is hard not to, I call it the vortex. It is hard not to get sucked into the emotional vortex. Because what happens is this, you're trying to stay focused on the mission and all of a sudden you, you, someone starts, you know, blabbing their mouth, a problem arises and it's very challenging not to all of a sudden get pulled off the bullseye. And that's why I say, Focus on the mission with wisdom. There could come a, a problem where you say, you know what? I gotta put pause on this for a brief second in order to address this. Or you might have the discernment to understand, you know what? This actually really isn't that big of a problem or it's not my problem. I could list off many examples over the last couple of years where at YFC even, I've had it with my, with my team and even with myself figure out when do I respond and when do I just say, hey, that's not our problem. Like, that's not what we're gonna be about here. 
And that is a very, it, 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 uh, it adds a burden. How about that? It adds a burden to the leadership. So I believe that one of the lessons from, from this passage in chapter six is that we stay focused on the task at hand, but to do so with wisdom. So second, we can achieve God-sized goals when we practice the discipline of taking inventory of our lives. Now, chapter seven is kind of a, a longer, boring chapter. There's a lot of names and a lot of numbers. And unless you are a deep theologian, all you see are names and numbers. And you're like, oh, this was exciting. I'm not gonna meditate on this for very long, right? Like, so, so-and-so had 600 people in their family. <laughs> Good job, okay? Um, but it says this, the, the most interesting part for me, the takeaway that I glean from chapter seven is in verses four through five. Go to the next slide, please. It says, at that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens for registration. I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. Now, you're like, okay, so he took a census. Why do I care? Like, what's the spiritual application for somebody being like, and you've got five and you've got seven and you got way too many? Uh, you know, like, what's, that, what's the point of that? And so what we see here is this. The wall is rebuilt. But then there's this question. Like, is the goal just to rebuild a wall? Well, no. Like, you put a door with a lock on your house because there's a reason. You want to know that the people in the house are safe, I would, I would assume. So um, in, in this part, the question is, now what? what? What are we doing? For Nehemiah and the Israelites, it was understanding not just who had returned, but who was still living there. What were their historical roles and duties? What were their skills? What were their strengths? Um, who was gonna be the priests? Who were gonna be making this stuff? Who would be you know, uh, leading this portion? They needed to know who was, who was there and also who wasn't. You see, taking inventory, it creates security. It tells you what you have and it tells you what you don't have. It tells you what you need to get. It tells you what you have too much of, not enough of. Taking inventory gives you important information. If you own a business or if you uh, have supplies of any measure, you need to know what's in your warehouse, right? I mean, that's common sense. At the same time, spiritually, there's something deeper. And I, and I want you to catch this because I can miss it as well. And I'll give you an example. Taking inventory creates a habit of reflection and evaluation. Before you go spend money on something, the appropriate question to ask would be, do I even need to? Should I? What's my forecast, right? These are business principles. Parents, maybe you've learned this as, I mean, so here's the deal. My wife and I, we break this rule all the time. Uh, but you never go to the store hungry. Why? Because all of a sudden, you need it all. And if you go to Costco, you're like, how did I spend $700? Like, what did I even get? And you're like, seven bags of chips, three things of Oreos. Don't know when I'm gonna eat it all, but I've got it, right? I mean, like, you don't go to the store hungry, and you always make sure you have 
a list because otherwise you're eating Oreos for a while, which is never a bad thing. Amen. Pretty sure it's in like Leviticus or something like that, right? Like, thou shalt eat Oreos. Maybe a different Bible, I'm not sure. So um, for you and I then, what does taking inventory look like for you in your heart, your mind, and your soul? How do you build this habit of reflection and evaluation of what's happening inside of you? Going back to the question in uh, Nehemiah chapter, I believe it was five, the ultimate question is, um, excuse me, yes, uh, how can God's, how can God work through you if you don't let him work in you? This point is being reinforced here in chapter seven by taking inventory. How do we create this habit? And I'll tell you what, when I was growing up, I wasn't ever really taught how to, to do this. And I'm not knocking my parents or other adults around me. It just, it wasn't something I caught on to. And so now I'm in my mid thirties and I have to figure out how do I pay attention to when I'm getting super stressed? How do I pay attention to when I'm gonna snap at any moment? How do I pay attention to these, those indicators? Because God can't work through me if I'm not letting him work in me. But that, that's the beauty of, of growth. I mean, it's the beauty of, of transformation is I am a different person today than I was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. Those songs that we read earlier, that we sang earlier, it was funny because those are some of the first songs that I sang as a new Christian back when I was in high school at 16, 17 years old. So, it, you know, a little uh, recollection there. How do you build a habit of taking inventory, of reflection and evaluation of your life? It's a great question to discuss because at, I'm gonna get to this in a little bit here. You have to do this, especially adults. If you have kids, your kids need to know how you've changed. They need to know who you were 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They need to know that. I will actually tell my niece and my nephew, they live in our property with us in our back house, and I will tell them sometimes, you know, the Kenny that you, the Uncle Kenny that you know, isn't the same Uncle Kenny that you would have known a long time ago. And that's changed because of what God's done in my life. Some of the kids that I work with through Youth for Christ, I'll tell them, in fact, I had a conversation just a few weeks ago with a, with a, with a few girls. Uh, we were arguing over something. I forget what it was exactly right now. And I was like, you know, the reason why I know God's real is because the person before you right now is not the person you would have known when I was in junior high and high school. And the only reason for that is because God gripped my heart and he changed me. So we were having this dialogue. But you see, your kids need to know that. And you're thinking, well, but I never was a horrible person. That doesn't matter. That argument, I hate that argument. And, and not that I hate, if you make that argument, I don't hate you. My point is this. I hate that argument because it downplays the power of God. So then God's only powerful if you're really messed up? Well, that's nowhere in scripture. You have an incredible story because of what God's doing in your life right here, right now, today. And hopefully that movement of God has changed you from the past. And you have to share those stories. Grandparents in the room, you have plenty of stories. Your grandkids need to know those stories. You need to share those stories about whatever it might be of how God moved in your life over the years. You've got to share those stories. So moving on, third. So 
stay focused on the mission with wisdom, take inventory of our lives. Third, we can achieve God-sized goals when we, when we stand in awe of God. So there's a, valued, there's a valid argument here. And the argument is, well, but they rebuilt the wall, everything's hunky-dory, so it's easy to stand in awe of God when things are going well. But it, it, it's deeper than that. It's a great point, but the principle here is that there is an intentional posture. In fact, uh, can you hold that book up for me? Very good. So I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm going to. I wrote a book, and uh, by the way, there's copies in the back, donations to YFC. It's for the kids, no guilt. Um, just joking, kind of. Um, no, but seriously, uh, please feel free to take one. And all I ask is that if, if you'd like a book, please just make a donation of any amount to YFC. Uh, they're gifts for the church. Um, so, uh, but in, in the book, I talk about a posture is a attitude. It's about our attitude, decisions, intentions, and drive. It, it's how we focus ourselves. And we see this in Nehemiah in chapter one, where Nehemiah's posture is immediately to hear this bad news and he turns to God. He doesn't start being like, okay, so we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this. He bows down, he worships, he seeks forgiveness. He says, God, the only way this works is if you show up miraculously. That is a posture before God. It takes humility, it takes discipline, it takes practice, but it's a posture. But see, the thing is, is when we wonder what God can do, it changes how we view God. If, you, if your posture toward God is, God, this is bigger than me. I, I know you can do incredibly crazy cool things. You can bring the dead back to life. You can make donkeys talk. You can, uh, you know, walk on water. When you have that view, okay, of God, it changes your mindset. And Romans talks about renewing your mind. And when you think about such things, you wonder and you say, God, I don't know how we're gonna build this giant wall here for the people, but I know that you can. God, I don't know how you're gonna change my spouse's heart, but I know that you can. God, I don't know how you're gonna fix this employee situation at work, but I know that you can. When you wonder what God can do, you look at him differently. Paul also reminds us that we are to set our sights on things above. And when you're focused on kingdom things, scripture promises everything else will fall into place. But how easy and tempting is it to turn on the news or flip through Instagram or for some of you, it's Facebook still, I know that. It's a joke, come on, it's a okay, generational thing. I still use Facebook because I'm, I'm old too. It's okay. Um, the kids are like, wow, how old are you? Like in your 90s? Um, I need to stop making jokes. I apologize. Okay. So uh, in Nehemiah chapter eight, three, verses three and six through eight, uh, we see the following points. And in verse three, he says, uh, it's, it records that Nehemiah faced the square just inside the water gate, uh, where are we at here? From early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. 
Okay, could you imagine getting your kids to listen for four hours to you? Let alone like, and the, the God's law says, rule number one, God's law says, I mean, dude, if I don't eat within three hours, I get cranky, blood sugar gets low. It's just bad news. Can I get an amen? Some of the husbands are here like, I need in and out, babe. You need to get going, okay? When, when, is he done yet? Um, and yet these people were hungry to know what does God say? These people were desperate to come together. They stood for four hours from early morning until lunch when it was starting to get hot and they listened to every word of God's law as Ezra and Nehemiah and the other leaders read out of his book. That is standing in awe of God. So the question here is, how hungry are you? Do you wake up? Do you go throughout your day? And do you stand in awe of God? I work for Youth for Christ. I'm a licensed pastor. I struggle with this. So I'm not in any way being judgmental. But on the days when I stand in the presence of God in awe, knowing that he is capable of more than I could ever dream of, things go well. Even if there's problems, things go well. But when I rely on my own awe of my own self, I get in trouble. Maybe you can relate to that. This literally means standing in awe. How much more powerful could the body of Christ be if we collectively did that? Furthermore, in verses six through eight, and I'll skip down here a little bit, at the end of verse six, it says, they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Down at the bottom of eight, it says, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. I saw a, uh, an ad for like home groups or like you guys have like community groups here. Yeah, those are so important. It gives you a chance to dialogue and ask questions and research and bring your experience and support each other. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I am a pragmatist to a fault at times. I'm a realist. Whether it's dealing with finances at home or work or, or, or you know, my kids, my wife or you know, HR issues or whatever it is. Try doing business in California. You trust God real quick. Um, and I mean that. Um, it means that I choose to believe in spite of the world being bigger than I can handle at times, I know that when I am weak, he is strong. So I see some younger faces in the room. If you haven't experienced hard times yet, just give it time. You'll get there. Congrats. Yeah. The, the, the challenge is, as you go through those hard times, heck, I'll even say this. Doubt God, question God. Because if you truly seek truth, God will answer. He will reveal the truth to you. There have been times where I've literally said, when, when my son had, my son has special needs, for those of you who don't know, and uh, when he was about maybe uh, two or three, it was really hard. And I mean, he had seizures and this and that, and two hours of sleep a night, it was miserable. And one night I literally was like, God, I'm done with you. That was it. Said, I'm done. Where are you? Mind you, I work at Youth for Christ. I'm a licensed pastor, okay? So give me some slack. Um, the next morning, I was still angry. I mean, it's like, it was, it, was, it was a solid, you know, two or three days of me being like, God, I'm done. And slowly, he chipped away at my heart and reminded me of some things. 
And I began to have deeper conversations with him than I ever had before. You see, that posture that I talked about previously, when we keep that posture, a discipline of that posture, even when you go through your doubts, God will chip away at them. God will, will show you the truth. But it takes faith. Uh, that's, and there, there's like probably another decade of sermons in there, I'm sure. So to recap, next slide. We're gonna wrap this up here. Number one, the, dis, the four disciplines of God-sized goals. Number one, focus on the mission with wisdom. Take inventory of our lives, stand in awe of God, and discipline for us to celebrate the sacred. Now, before you uh, throw rocks at me, here's what I mean, okay? Sacred, when, when I was doing my master's research thesis uh, a while back, um, I, I wanted to know how come this kid who should be in jail, who should be dead, who should have, you know, a plethora of baby mamas, why does this kid, why is he doing so well? But this kid is just a mess, how come this kid, by all statistical metrics, would be like, oh, he's one of those people? Why is he doing so well when this kid has all the positive things and you're like, what went wrong with there? Right? Okay. And what I found is in the context of supportive relationships, there was this element of the sacred. These kids all talked about having this real experience with when I'm at church, I feel safe. When I'm reading the Bible and I don't understand and someone explains it to me, I feel like I, I know God better. When I'm praying or I hear other people praying, I feel like I have this connection to, you know, something bigger than myself. Like they said all these kinds of things. There was this element of the sacred. So when I say celebrate the sacred, I'm not meaning like some foofy new age spiritual weird thing. I'm talking about the elements of God's kingdom. When you open up the word of God and you read that scripture and you're like, I've read this a hundred times and it changed my life this morning. What was different? In that moment, all the stars aligned and God said, Whoosh, I got you right in the heart, right? That's, that's the sacred. So this is different than standing in the awe of God. The way that I view this is kind of a two-part act. My posture in, is to stand in awe before God. Celebrating the sacred is knowing the appropriate response to God in that moment. And I'll give you an example. In Nehemiah 8, 9 through 11, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, uh, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods, sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Excuse me. The Levites too quieted the people telling them, hush, don't weep. This is a sacred day. The, the importance of this is knowing the appropriate response to the situation. There's a time to weep and mourn. There's a time to be angry and sad. 
But when God moves, there's a time to throw the biggest party the world's ever seen. And these people, I can understand what they were going through. I could imagine the shame, the guilt, the, the, the fear even of like, well, we have a wall back and now what? Like, now what do we do? Like, God has this law and I'm screwing up nine of the 10 rules. I'm doomed. Now what do I do? And that they're saying, no, the response, it'll be a time to fix your life. But right now in this moment, we're gonna celebrate the sacred. God did a miraculous thing and we're gonna rejoice. The question is, what would it look like for us? And I hate throwing parties. I really do. You can ask my wife. When it comes to like birthdays and Christmas, it's like, oh, that's next week, isn't it? Okay, I'm one of those guys. I'm just horrible at it. I'm sorry, I love you. But what would it look like if your family, if this church looked at important milestones, maybe it's the new building. Maybe it's a family in here who had separated, came back together. Maybe it's a kid who chose to start following Jesus. What would it look like for you to celebrate the sacred around those momentous events? Now that, you know, my wife and I, with our son, we think of times of like, wow, a year ago, we didn't know, it was he gonna live? And look how good he's doing. We have a daughter now. It's like, wow, there will come a point in time where I can remember her firsts or these important moments. There's something about remembering these things. There's something sacred about saying on this day, at this time, the Lord showed up. In spite of the city have been, have been burnt, the walls were torn down, families were scattered, lives and property were lost, among other things. God moved, and these leaders here, Nehemiah, Ezra, the others, they did what leaders do. They reminded the people to interpret, interpret the situation accurately. I could list off a number of examples in the last two years, and I, I, I won't because I don't wanna get all political or anything, where I believe that on all sides of the weird spectrum of things, we reacted emotionally. We go on our screens, we see this. Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, did you hear about that? Oh, those losers. Oh, we, and we, we get emotionally reactive. And that turns our posture away from the mission at hand. And I've got some friends in here who I text all the time. So I'm preaching to myself as well. And it's not that those things are bad. It's that if we're not discerning and wise, those emotional reactions pull us away from the, the mission at hand. So it's, it's about responding appropriately, not reacting emotionally. Those are two different things. And you gotta figure out how to learn the difference. Um. And I will say that even at YFC, that's been part of my, my, the hardest part of my job is there's times where I want to react and I know I can't. So um, I'd like to pray and bring the worship team up. And as they do, I'd like to read uh, in my devotions this morning out of Ephesians chapter three. It was funny because I was like wrapping up this, this sermon in my head and I, I wanted to be like, Lord, what's a way to really bring this together? I open my Bible app and it says this in Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse 14. 
When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And verse 20, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So Father, thank you that you are infinitely capable capable of doing more. Help us to remember these disciplines. As you work in us, may that light, may you use that to work through us to the people around us. In Jesus' name.